2: Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorash. I am here with Tigers beat writer Evan Petzold. Ev, interesting week, lost three, won the final game of the last series, then went to Chicago and basically played a version of the Charlotte Barons for three days and uh, swept Swept the White Sox in Chicago. That's uh, a bad baseball team they played, and they should have swept them. We talked about it, you know, last week
3: on the podcast. And the Tigers made us made us look pretty smart with just how bad they played at home, and then you know go on the road and they get the job done. Now I do think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were playing the Chicago White Sox. But at the same time, you know, they went three and seven you know during the ten game homestand, and they get on the road and they win three in a row. Um, they've won four games in a row now because they did win that last game at home against the New York Yankees. It's an interesting week of baseball. Yeah, I mean, but look, like the Chicago White Sox are so bad. I, I haven't seen a game worse than I saw on Saturday. The Tigers won ten nothing, and that performance from the White Sox was just pitiful. It was pitiful. I mean, that it, it was it was just sad. Um, up and down. Like it it Reese Olson got one strikeout and went seven innings with you know, no runs allowed. I mean, he, he he was he was dominant, but didn't even have, like, his good, good stuff. He just pitched a contact. And, you know, this White Sox team is so swing-happy that you, you throw it somewhere in the zone that, you know, you don't even have to try to go for a chase or, or, or a swing and miss. Like, just let him put the ball in play and ground out. It's as easy as that. I mean, Reese Olsen, again, he goes seven scoreless and throws 79 pitches. The White Sox never put a runner in scoring position. And any runners that they did put on base... They were ground into double plays immediately after. The Tigers faced... They, I mean, look, like, Reese Olson faced 22 batters and he pitched seven innings. The Tigers as a whole, like, they were one batter over what would have been the minimum, and that was because of a fielding error in the first inning by Andre Lipsius because those double plays eliminated, you know, the, the, the four other base runners. So, like, it, that's a bad team in Chicago. That, that's a bad team. It, it's sad to watch, especially knowing how much talent that they've had you know, really, over the past three or four years, and the fact that they kind of just pissed it away—that—that—that's the disappointing part.
2: They pissed it all away. And what what was shocking, and I tweeted this multiple times over the weekend, is it's it's enough when you're not playing well. But holy smokes, the effort level of the Chicago White Sox—I I, I I've seen work crews on the expressway we, wearing orange, you know, jumpsuits put forth more effort than they did. It was ridiculous. I mean, Astros- but Mark, that's, and that's what I appreciate about the Tigers though. Say what you want
3: about their roster. Say what you want about Scott Harris. Say what you want about AJ Hinch. Like whatever fans want to complain about, like you got to give the Tigers credit because they do play. T- they, they do play the full game. Like I know AJ Hinch talks about that all the time in the post games. I know it's really annoying to hear for fans because you're just like, okay, win more games. Um, you know, don't tell me that you play you know, the, the, the full game and, and, you know, fight to the end, like fans don't really want to hear that. But at the same time, like we did see an example of the Tigers, you know, bring some of that juice and some of that energy in the final game of that series where it's tied two two in the seventh inning, you know, Torkelson hits the home run and it, it was an absolute monster shot. It was, it was a great home run. He doesn't bat flip, but he bat drops. And he, you know, kind of says something to the Tigers dugout and they're super amped up and like, For me, watching that compared to what I saw on Saturday, like you, you look at the difference between, you know, Saturday's White Sox and Sunday's Tigers, and you're like, okay, yeah, like that Tigers team, like that's team that wants to win. I mean, you you see Tarek Skubal and Miguel Cabrera; they have their interaction dugout when you know Miguel Cabrera before the game tells Tarek that he needs to go seven innings, and and Tarek doesn't comes back in the dugout and you know says, I blank told you so, dropping in an expletive. Mm -hmm. So like that that that's a team that wants to win. And that that's something that I think the Tigers can hang their head on this year despite the fact that their record's not great because man, it could be so much worse. You you go look at the way that the White Sox are playing. They don't even look like they want to be out there.
2: We we'll talk a little bit more about some of the good parts of the 2023 season, but I will say this. The effort level, the professionalism what's been demanded of them and learning how to play nine innings every day, no matter what, beating up on bad teams. It's it's a learned trait as a team. And the one thing I can say to you about 2023 is the Tigers are learning their lessons well about how to do all those things. And it's a major step forward in winning a lot more baseball games at some point in time in the future, assuming they add more talent. To the pool. And what's also weird, and I think you could explain this a little bit, and I'm not being mean about it, but Miguel Cabrera, obviously, if it's not Elbert Pujols, it's Miguel Cabrera, the greatest hitter of this era. It's not even close. Was never the greatest leader. It, You know, other people led. I think that's fair. It's fair. But I will say this, strangely, this in his final year, is probably the most and the most active I have ever seen Miguel Cabrera be about teaching the game and teaching kids how to compete and, you know, offering mentorship and leadership in any other season that he's been a Tiger. It's been pretty great. And I think right now we should all give Miguel a hug for how he conducted himself all year, how he's played all year, how he's tried to lead all year, and just the entire experience of one of the greatest players of all time, much less one of the greatest Tigers of all time, has been an absolute pleasure from day one. And there's now uh, less than uh, 25 days left before it's all over.
3: Yeah, Mark. And that's all Miguel Cabrera. Like we we really do have to remember that, but that's all Miguel Cabrera. And that's, that's professionalism. That's a guy who knows his place in the game, but also know where knows where he's at right now in, in his game. Like, right. Like he's not the same player that he used to be. He knows that Tigers fans know that, you know, Tigers front office knows that AJ Hinch knows that obviously, but the way that he's handled it has been the most impressive thing to me to watch from afar. Like that, that, that's been special. He, I mean, look, in Saturday's game, the guy goes four for five, and it was just amazing to watch. I mean, he was hitting missiles all over the field and just looked so good, and it's one of those games where you kind of sit back and you're like, yeah, like, that's, that's Miguel Cabrera. Like, I'm getting to cover Miguel Cabrera. I'm getting to cover one of the best players to ever play this game, and even at age 40 in his final stretch of his career, like, he just went four for five. Like, that, that's really impressive. And he did it out of the cleanup spot. That how many was times the best hit, part. But how many times has he hit cleanup this year? That Once. was his third time. Third time? That was his third time. That okay. was his third time hitting cleanup. He has hit seventh 51 times. He has hit sixth twenty-one times. And that's to start a game. My point in saying that is Miguel Cabrera is one of the greatest players to ever step on a baseball field. And you know how much like you know how much he wants to be out there day in and day out. He's taken the back seat. He's allowed A.J. Hinch to drop him down in the batting order. He, he, he could have been a total pain in A.J. Hinch's ass for doing that. He, he could have been, nope, I want to bat fourth. He could have given up. He could have quit. He could have said, no, Like I don't even want to be here anymore. He is so happy to be playing the game, and he's made it easy on everyone. Like that, That's the thing that I appreciate the most. There are superstars, superstars out there, regardless of their performance, who would not – they wouldn't accept that. They wouldn't take that and Miguel Cabrera has taken it in stride complete class complete pro I mean it's it's you have to remember that right like it's 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 not just oh he's giving back to the team in that way it's like he's taking on that backseat role he's taking on that mentor role he's willing to to do all those things there was never a question there was never a question about him moving down the lineup and like for a guy that's as good as that is I mean this is a guy who that's, that's 500 home runs that's
2: 600 doubles that's
3: 600 doubles like like that's a guy who's he just passed george brett on the all-time hits list like think about that for a second and to do it the way that he's done it especially the way that he's done it in this you know last you know three seasons of his career just brilliant just brilliant the tigers have added but the tigers have also added players around him they've added carrie carpenter they've added riley green they've added spencer torkelson and i think you know looking back at it from afar that was the thing like I think Miguel Cabrera said, look, if this lineup can be better, I got no problems moving down. And you know what? The lineup is, again, I know the results aren't always all there and they're not all there in the standings right now, but they do have better players than they had in 2020. There's no doubt about that.
2: Thank God. And he's moved
3: down the lineup. He's done it graciously. I respect him for that. And I think all Tigers fans should.
2: I, you know, being 67 years old and I saw Al Kaline play, I saw Al Kaline play as a child, when he was great. Um, But I have no problem saying that Miguel Cabrera is the greatest Tiger player I have ever seen, and I'll be really blunt about it. I mean, Al Kaline was a really great hitter, but he was not Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera, you know, from 2008 to 2014 was something i've never seen before so and uh, may never see again so hat tip to uh to miggy from both of us something we may never see again and there's you know 42 years between our ages and <laughs> i hope that uh you get to see something that's like it but it wouldn't surprise me if you didn't so you mentioned the name riley green want to before we get to the big two Riley injured himself again on a dive. A lot of people are really upset about it. Don't think you're going to get Riley Green to stop diving, but it's not good that he keeps hurting himself. And I brought up a name that really makes me worry because he was a crazy great player and reminds me quite a bit of Riley is Grady Sizemore. Um, Riley, I got to
3: stop you right there. It's funny because I saw your tweet about Grady Sizemore. And I'm not even going to lie to you, Mark. It was an hour before you tweeted that. I had somebody text me, Grady Sizemore. You're spot on, man. I mean, it's somebody in the industry who knows, who has been around like spot on comp right there. And I got that text before. I wasn't going to use it in a story. I wasn't even going to really talk about it. And I knew you were going to bring it up. And I wanted to make the point like, I got that text too. So like, it's not just you that that kind of sees that, right? Like, There's other people in the game that are evaluating the situation and saying... Kind of gives me Grady size more vibes. I
2: mean, Grady was a dude. I mean, just a flat out five tool, take no prisoners, change the game so many ways, dude. And he just kept getting hurt. And there were so many similarities between them as players. I it, 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 Grady's a little faster, but um similar walk similar amounts, powered similar amounts, just aptitude for the game, played center field, just but kept getting hurt, and you know, Riley gets weird injuries, I mean, really strange fouls off his foot, stress fracture, elbow discomfort, um, now, I, Look, here's what I'll say to you. I'm pretty familiar with this injury he has now. Wouldn't shock me if he played the last week of the season, so he could play. Well, we don't,
3: we don't know what it is though. Well, I, it's I don't, just no. That's 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 the problem is that that's and that's what the Tigers have talked about too is that it's right elbow inflammation because he came down, banged his elbow, jammed it on an amazing. I mean, look, it's a good catch. If anybody if any if anybody listening hasn't hasn't seen the video, you're not a Tigers fan. Um, but look, if you haven't seen it, you got to go, go look it up. I mean, it was an incredible catch. One of the best catches I've ever seen. Jams', is, Jams is right elbow and seems like he's going to be okay. The initial tests were good, but then turns out, okay, it's super swollen. There's a ton of inflammation in there. They got to wait for the swelling to subside before they can really go in there and do another MRI. And, and the question then becomes, is it something with the bone? Is it a ligament? Like th- Those are questions that, that we don't have the answers to yet. I'm sure the Tigers might have an idea of what that is. And the way that everything was handled, it just—you get that gut feeling. Hey, this guy's going to be done for the year. That—that's the gut feeling that I got. Now, that's not official yet. The Tigers haven't said that, but it, it doesn't feel good. Like the situation just feels—it um, it, just—it just feels like an out for the year kind of thing, as opposed to yeah, hey, I, we'll get him back. I mean, he's gonna—I mean, Mark, he's gonna have to wait seven to ten days from the time of um, you know the first MRI, which was the day after the game. So that was on, on Saturday morning. Went to get the MRI. You got to wait seven to 10 days to get that follow up MRI. And by that point, you're going to have to go on a rehab assignment. They're not just going to bring him back to the big leagues. Like, you're know, going to have to rehab it, get back to the big leagues, make sure he has you know, full comfort of it. What's even the point of playing at the end of the year if you can? Secondly, it's just right elbow inflammation. Like, that it it could be anything at this point. They, they need to get in there and they need to do another exam to see what it's going to be. That's scary.
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, you can get swelling down. There's, I mean, especially now that he's home, they they have lots of ways to get swelling down. And I, if it's if it's a bone bruise, yeah, he's probably off for the year. I, I would really think the kid was snake bit if it's something more dramatic than that, like a UCL tear or something, which I don't even want to. No, say I don't. I, don't
3: I wouldn't. I wouldn't foresee that. But I'm. But again, like there are also other ligaments in that area where
2: yeah, it's hyper hyperextended it. There's a lot of things he could have done doing that, but right. you know, I, I, I just think that he would like to play in a couple of games with Miguel oh, before he, he retires, especially he that would. weekend. So I, I'm holding out hope that, they can rehab it, get the swelling out of there, maybe doesn't need a rehab assignment. And, you know, he had just come Here's out. Here's
3: what I'm of, gonna say to that. Don't 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 hold your breath on that. That's yeah. what I think.
2: I but, know. And usually I'm the pessimist between the two of us, but um I'm holding out a little hope for something good for Riley. Get a few swings in, get a game or two in before the year's over. That last week is that last week is like you're playing games with your luggage packed uh, in your locker, (laughs) just racing to get the season over so it could be done with unless you're good. So um, I'm hoping though that last week weekend for sure should be both unbelievably fun and unbelievably sad at the same time. So um, I wanted to, I, 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 A couple things on the show sheet that I just wanted to go over that I just thought were quite amazing before we hit the big two. Which were how about 34 and 34 on the road, 28 and 15 versus the AL Central, 24 and 24 in the second half? All weirdly kind of decent signs about progressing to being good, and then. You look at the last big number that I calculated, which was we're 35 and 59, a 372 winning percentage against everybody else outside of the AL Central. And it just makes you want to put both hands up to your face and go, oh my God, in 94 games. We have a 372 winning percentage against the rest of baseball. We're terrible. So, uh, yeah, just kind of sobering after so many things you want to say are good and how you want to spin it, but you can't run away from it, can you? Bad time for a
3: balanced schedule, huh? I mean, imagine though, right? Like if there were more games against the AL Central, the Tigers kept up that pace. Again, I'm not saying... It would have happened, but it might have happened. I mean, again, but that, dude, that, that's all the game,
2: all the games count. You can only, you can only
3: speculate, but no, yeah. I know you can only right. speculate. I mean, about in, that. In, I do, look, look, look. Here's the, here's the, here's here's what it means to win the Central. You got to beat the Central. That is a step in the right direction.
2: No, that is a step in the right direction. What about the other part, though? <laughs> <laughs> that's a concerning piece. It's that's a
3: good, and, and that but that tells you that that really speaks to the talent gap between the AL Central. And you know the other divisions, specifically the American League East. The Tigers have been awful against the AL East, and the AL East is an absolute juggernaut, up and down. You know, all of those lineups are any of those lineups would win the AL Central. Like, there's no question about it in my opinion. So, it, it, you know, but that that's that's something where you say, okay, that's where there's a talent gap. I'll, that's where there's a talent
2: gap. Here's what I'd say to you: This is why I have so much admiration for you. Is that there's going to be essentially a post-mortem exit interview meeting between Scott Harris and the beat writers to go over the season. And they're going to get out all the tongue bathing that Mark Gorash hates so much. And you're going to sit there and listen to how they try to spin all this and PR people are going to be giving you the side eye why Scott's talking and telling you why it was such a good year. And I would just have to be muzzled to not ask him about, dude, what about your record outside of the central? What about your run differential? What about your record at home? What's that telling you? And, 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 you know, he would obviously in the Tigers PR department would be really mad at you for bringing that stuff up, but I, it's, you know, most other places that would get asked and there would be a dialogue about it and either there would be an honest answer or there wouldn't,
3: but here... Well, it tells you that they would get smoked if they were in the playoffs, I'll tell you that. I mean, that's exactly what it tells you. They They, they need, there is a talent gap and they need to cross that bridge before they can even think about being competitive and, and, and doing something in the postseason. I know, I understand, you know, once you're in, anything can happen, but at the same time, one, you got to beat other teams a little bit more to be able to get in. I like what they're doing against the AL Central. Do I think they're going to have a 651 winning percentage against the Central next year? Maybe not, like like maybe not. So this could kind of be one of those one-off years where like it just kind of happened to, to happen that way. And, you know, you beat up on some teams and they're down. I, they play the Twins very well, so I'll give them credit for that. But look, like, it's one thing to get in. It's another thing to make some noise once you're in. The Tigers haven't been in the playoffs in a long time. And even when they get in, like, do you really feel good about them if they have to go up against, I don't know, like, the Baltimore Orioles? Like, do you really feel good about them if, if, if that would be a match that they would draw at some point in the next year? I, I don't feel great about that matchup. I mean, I, I think the Tigers would get popped by them. That's just me. So, and again, there's other teams. I mean, you can go, you can look at, you know, you go look at the Houston Astros. You can talk about the Texas Rangers. Like, how will the Tigers fare against those teams? That they even make it to the postseason? Like, it's it. It just wouldn't be good, right? Like, it would be a disaster. So, that's where there's a talent gap, and that talent gap, like, you, you really got to fill that, and you got to catch up to the rest of the league.
2: You know what I'm saying? Of is that you know I would I would have a lot more comfort about where they were headed and how they were going to continue to make strides adding to their talent gap, if at the end of the year, Scott said, look, there were a lot of good things. There was a, you know, we started to develop a big three. I really like the maturity of, you know, how Riley, Carey, and Spencer Evolved over the course of the season. Yes, they had issues, but yes, they kept improving and they did a lot of great things. And then he could talk about some other good things that happened with his pitching staff and how Olsen may have surprised and he made progress. And, you know, how Manning may have evolved and got better and Scooble came back. And there are a lot of really interesting things that happened during the year that were positives. But if he also looked at everybody and said, look, guys, Outside of the central, we weren't good. We need to be better. You know, and and if and I I think
3: fans and I think fans want to hear that too. Yeah. I think fans want to hear that. They want honesty. They want
2: honesty. Fans want honesty. So, Scott, if you're listening to this, you would be well served by being honest. And he needs to say things like, yeah. I understand we had some issues. There were some things that really upset me about, you know, where we need to improve. And I'm going to start today to try to fill the gaps. We had the lowest war almost in baseball at third base. We had the worst leadoff hitter collectively. Our, our, our one hitter was the worst one hitter in baseball for productivity. We have holes at second base. Okay, there are issues. We need to get more rotation depth. We need to get more relief depth. Okay, but mostly we need to score more runs. And yes, we improved our walk rate, but we didn't improve it that much. I do like the fact that our power improved a lot over the last 75 games. That's good. We still had a WRC plus under 100 as a team. We don't score enough. So if, if he was honest and he said, I have a plan about what to do some things about what I want to do about it, yes, Justin Henry Malloy is a possibility to add to the offense next year. I'm expecting Colt Keith to play a lot next year. And if he just was honest about those things, I think he would get a lot more respect from the fan base. But when you just kind of swish things around and, you know, you serve me Neapolitan ice cream and tell me I had a big dessert, all right, it's just, you know, people kind of give you the side eye. And, you know, he would be well served about being a lot more honest than the previous guy he succeeded, who was maybe the single worst public speaking general manager in the history of modern baseball. So, you know, if you're listening, Scott, I hope you take a little advice from two guys who like to shoot it straight and don't try to tell me, uh, you know, it's raining out when uh, the sun's shining or, you know, vice versa. I, I just think people are... It's year eight of the rebuild, and uh, they're tired of listening to it.
3: Mark, is that your uh, mic drop there before we get to a break?
2: I don't know about a mic drop, but I I just think it's enough. You know, enough BS, man. We've had seven years of Chris Illich BS. I think you as a beat well, that right?
3: covers quite that well. That, co- that well that covers question one of the big two, pretty much, right? <laughs> like we kind of talked about it. I mean, are the yeah. Tigers improving or are they bad? And you know, we go up and down and look at what they've been able to do on the road, what they've done against the AL Central, how bad they've been at home, you know, what they've been able to do in the second half, which I think a 24 and 24 record in the second half. Like, I think there, there's something to be taken away from that. I don't think that's a, a bad sign by any means. I think that's a good sign. All right. Uh, because that's better than they were in the first half, right? Well, I'll tell you so, what. I, I do think that there are some positives. I do think there is a ton of room for improvement. A ton. I love what they have coming up. I love I love the development process. I love what Ryan Garko is doing. I love what Gabe Rebus is doing with the pitchers. I love what they've done with Jackson Job. Jace Young looks like a real dude. Cole Keith, we've talked about him over and over again. Justin Henry Malloy, we've talked about him. Parker Meadows has come up and, and he's been he's been so solid. Andre Lipshius kindly gets his opportunity we'll see what he ends up making of it um, but like th- there are some pieces in this organization that are coming up and so I do think that the Tigers are improving as an organization I also think they're improving a little bit in the big leagues but I think if you look a little bit deeper and you see what they're doing in the minor leagues with some of the guys coming up now again you got to do it in the big leagues like nothing really matters unless you do it in the big leagues but the fact that they do have some promise coming up, and, and it does feel like it's not just like oh it's the the, the big three it's Mize you know Manning and Scuoble or oh it's you know Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson like we can go off and we can name like you know five or six different dudes who like we're pretty pumped about to to see in Detroit. Wenzel Perez is on that list as well. I'm very excited to see him. So I think when you can get to a point where you can say okay, okay in, in 2024 there is going and this shoot I mean may, maybe this kind of gets into question two of the big two with you know who's actually been a piece and not a placeholder with some waiver claims we can talk about that but like when you can say hey look we're gonna have Mize Manning-Skubel Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson Kerry Carpenter has made you know uh, has been amazing since he's come up and then we got so much coming
2: it's a good sign All right, look we're gonna have more discussion about exactly what you just brought up but first we're gonna take a break
1: So, let's get to
2: it. You know, we're discussing what was good, what, you know, so let me explain to everybody what question one of the big two was, which is are the Tigers improving or are they bad? And I think we just spent the last 10 minutes discussing it. I think they're both. (laughs) They're improving and they are still bad. They have a lot of hope (laughs) for what is coming, but you know, there are 11 games below 500, you know, and I don't know what universe that 11 games below 500 is not considered bad unless you, you know, won 60 games last year. and no, finished, it's bad. You know, so, it's bad. It's you bad. know, the, bo- the bottom line, yes. I mean, look, here's the other thing. It, it's – there are parts of what is transpiring from an operational standpoint, and I – put on the sheet this week. um, Why does Mark seem mad at Scott Harris every single freaking day? You kind of
3: already touched on that, I feel like.
2: And and, and my frustration with it is, is A, the simple, upfront, easy-to-answer part, which is there's a lack of forthright, you know, honesty about what's up. But B, you just can't, in modern-day baseball, If you pay attention to the day-to-day activities of how teams are managed today from a front office perspective, the idea of slow walking everybody, unless you just are log jam like crazy in front of prospects, that is not how modern day baseball is operated in the front office these days. I mean... There are so many kids from the 2023 draft (laughs) that were collegians that are in double-A. It's blowing my freaking mind. Nolan Chanel is already in the major leagues. Everybody was laughing at Perry Minashian when he was bringing up Zito. And now look, and first of all, Perry's done a pretty damn good job with a terrible owner and what was a terrible antiquated talentless team besides his main two or three guys and a guy named Anthony Rendon who's played like you know nine games in four years and made 135 million dollars they all of a sudden they have a, you know they have a few pitchers that they've developed they got a shortstop they got a first baseman but but they, mark but mark but mark that's but mark look look
3: there's a big difference between where the Tigers were at, say, two weeks ago and where the Angels were at, say, two weeks ago, right? Like, like the Tigers, to your point, are 11 games under five They're eight and a half back in the American League Central. If the Tigers were even in Cleveland's position right now, maybe a little bit ahead of that. I mean, or if they were in Minnesota's position and they felt like, hey, we're going to go to the postseason, do you think that Justin Henry Malloy would be on the Tigers right now? Do you think that Colt Keith would be with the Tigers right now? Because part of me, I hope that they would be. I guess that's where I'm at, is I hope that they would be. I can understand the situation of you're not in contention, you're not competing for anything. I, I understand. I get the frustration on your end, but my point is like, they're not competing for anything. I get the slow walk frustration, but they're they're not in the mix now if they would be where the twins are at right now and they're leading the division and they're gearing up for a playoff run and they're going to need some dudes to actually make some noise in the playoffs it's totally different story I, I think it'd be it'd be I, you 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 couldn't you couldn't not call up those guys I mean the, the heat that you would take for not doing it would just be it, it would be unbearable so I think the situation is different because of where the Tigers are at right now. Look, I, I don't. I don't. I'm not saying I agree with it. Look, I do. Look. I do believe in giving guys a taste and giving guys opportunity, and I do think that those are two guys that have absolutely raked in Toledo. Malloy specifically has been there all year. I mean, I it, he, he should be in the big leagues, but it, it's just a reality of the situation with where the Tigers are at right now. They're not. They're not a competitive team.
2: I, I think that's meaningless. I mean, full disclosure. Kevin and I had somewhat similar of a discussion the other night between the two of us, okay? And we had come from totally different places about this, and I thought it was a great idea to have this discussion this week because we come from such different places. So my answer to you about this is, let me ask you a different way. How much different is AAA baseball? Especially for hitters. Well, for for anybody. For pitchers to well, the, the, how much way more advanced than the Bay But leagues. how much different is AAA baseball than than playing in the major leagues? I think there's a significant gap, especially for hitters. I think there's a bigger gap between AAA and the major leagues than there is between complex baseball and AAA. That's how big I think the difference is. It's I a think huge jump. I think it's massive. I, and I think it's. Ex- I mean,
3: Mark, look, Mark, look. There, there's, there's no Garrett Cole's in AAA. Psh,
2: dude, it, it, it. Some of the worst major league players dominate in AAA. Just to give you a, yep. an idea, okay. My point about it is that there are very, very, very few players that don't go through a huge in, in adjustment period between triple A in the major leagues because yeah, you might have a day, you might have a week. But day after day after day after day after day after day after day, after day of the execution <laughs> level of major league baseball, it starts wearing on you and and small slumps become big slumps and, you know, pitchers keep locating and the level of spin is much bigger, and the fastballs are faster, and the def- and the defense is better, and the positioning is better, and and it just you can never get off the merry-go-round when things are going wrong, and you need the exposure to those things to not let it overwhelm you. So all I think they're doing right now, when you're not playing Cole Keith at third base and you're playing Matt Veerling with a 520 OPS, who's not going to play there next year, who has zero home runs in his last 230 at-bats, instead of Colt Keith at third, letting him play terrible defense, Nick Castellanos caliber third base, letting him get exposed to what is going to obviously happen next year in April when he is the third baseman. Why are we wasting the time, Malloy? Maybe slightly different. Not sure where he's going to play. Good chance he's the DH. The other, you know what,
3: Mark? Mark, maybe he's a top one hundred prospect when this starts next year. Maybe could
2: be. I get it. And everybody wants the lotto ticket draft choice. That they're going to get, and that's nice, and I get it. But to be really honest with you, at the end of the day, I'd much rather have them get, get bats in the major leagues learning how to contribute next year because nobody spent, I spend $5 every single time I am at the grocery store in Meyer. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast for Gannett, we are happy to do that because I shop at Meyer. I love shopping at Meyer, crazy as it is. And I buy, you know, whoever has the bigger jackpot, that's a $3 ticket. Whoever's got the smaller jackpot, that's a $2 ticket. And I buy lottery tickets. But Rookie of the Year's a lottery ticket. And if your excuse for not playing guys is you're leaving spots open on the 40 because you might want to claim a guy who might be, we're going to get into this, yeah, or well, that's the other thing too, because Colt
3: Keith and Justin Henry Malloy—they both do not need to be added to the forty-man roster because they're not Rule Five eligible. But I'm, get, but I'm saying to your point, like to to keep that open, I what, get what you're saying.
2: What, what's Mark Gorash doing? As you look at me on our stream yeah, right no, now, I know it's. I'm a little playing little, the smallest violin, smallest violin in the world. Okay, look, dude. There's just. But no, no I'm just.
3: I'm just saying. There's your just point, no. So, ex- so our listeners can understand the situation, right? Like, like. A guy like, I I understand. I understand that it it doesn't, it, it, look, I understand you're not pleased to hear that. And I understand why. But my point is, is like, you know, there are other guys that need to be added to the 40 man to protect from Rule 5 eligibility. Mm. They don't have to do that with those two guys. So maybe they feel a little better about waiting it out, keeping those spots open on the 40. Maybe they can make some more waiver claims in the offseason. Look, I, I understand. The talent level is there. The Tigers have repeatedly said they want Colt Keith and Justin, Justin Henry Malloy to work on defense and base running. And <sighs> the bat is pretty much there.
2: Yeah. Well, listen, if I didn't have such respect defense for our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford, who I have promised that I would not use the endless streams of profanity that I normally use, okay? I would be spewing so many words of profanity in this discussion right now, okay, over this specific part of the discussion. You have a team that's 11 below 500. You've been losing for eight damn years, and you are telling me you are concerned about 40-man roster space when you have Blair Calvo on your 40-man Get
3: Blair out Calvo of
2: here. Was, Blair Calvo was DFA. Yeah. Um, Jeez. So- thanks a lot. 90 days of Blair Calvo on the 40 man was really a good use of space. Hey, he had an 888
3: ERA in Toledo.
2: Yeah. These are the things when I again said, why is Mark blowing up Scott Harris every freaking day? Okay. Be, you know, my answer to you is this is the kind of stuff. It ends in E-R-Y, and it starts with an F. And if you want to know what I mean, just check my feed. I use the word many times. Okay, Calm down. Calm down. And, and dude, play the guys who are going to play. It's not a mystery who's going to play next year, okay? It's not. I mean,
3: Mark, we literally went through the roster and what it could look like in September 2024. That's if the Tigers allow Jace Young to, to be promoted to the big leagues by that point. Um, not sure if they'll, you know, follow the same path as, I mean, he might follow the same path as Malloy and, and, uh, and Keith, but look, regardless, you go look at that lineup and what it could look like on opening day, Jake Rogers at catcher, Spencer Torkelson at first base, Javier Baez at shortstop, Cole Keith at third base, Riley Green in left field, Parker Meadows in center field, some variation of Carrie Carpenter and Justin Henry Malloy at right field and, and designated hitter on the bench. You probably got Carson Kelly as your backup catcher. You carry Matt Vierling; he can do a little bit of and, ball. And that's, one that's of fine. the
2: thirteen utility players that they right. have, and
3: and and Wenzel Perez, and then C-
2: Ryan Kreidler. right? Ryan
3: Kreidler or Zach McKinstry or
2: it, it, take your pick, whoever. And right. by the way, by the way, I did a little checking today, and I sent this to you, but uh, they keep playing Matt Vierling, and so I ran a I ran a data dive on. Everybody since the 1st of June, and I've tweeted enough Matt Verling futility, but I've tweeted enough Matt Verling futility tweets, and everyone likes to say, you know, Mark, you leave out the part where you hit the two home runs on the 15th of June, and so I went back to the 1st of June. And guess who's been a thousand times more productive than Matt Vierling that also plays third base, that plays, you know, hits right-handed and had like 90 bats less than Matt Vierling, who won't be on the team next year, by the way. Andy Abanez. Andy Abanez has been way more productive than Matt Vierling, both in war and homers and... OPS and, and even the underlying numbers. Like when the Tigers acquired
3: Matt Veerling, there was a lot of excitement over the fact that you know maybe they can finally get him to tap into that power. You go and you looked at the hard hit rate from 2022. The hard hit rate was up. Like the sweet spot percentage was pretty good. He didn't swing and miss very much. Expected batting average was high. You go look at what what those percentile rankings are now. It's 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 just not the same. I mean, expected Disney. batting average is still pretty good, but. Look, the average exit velocity is terrible. The barrel rate is terrible. The hard hit rate is is pretty much just average. The sweet spot rate is terrible. Um, still doesn't doesn't whiff very much, which you know you appreciate, mm. but it's it's all, all those things the tigers hope to untap.
2: When you have less Not power yet. than Jose Igle- when you have less power than Jose Iglesias, it's never a good thing. But
3: that's why the Tigers acquired Matt Vierling was because, hey, look, there's untapped potential here. We we see the underlying metrics, and we think we can get more out of them. That hasn't happened.
2: Yeah. Okay. I have brought this up many, many times. You do remember who told you that he thought Matt Vierling was never going to really hit for much power and couldn't pull the baseball. You remember who told you that, right?
3: Yeah, and you remember who told you that Nick Maton wasn't going to be able to hit a breaking ball to save his life and couldn't hit pitches at the bottom of the zone?
2: Just goes to show you that days of roar, baseball analysts. Uh, we try. We try. Um, yeah. It, it's, you know, my, my point is is it's just seems a little strange to me that Scott Harris acquired players, their leash is like 10,000 feet, and other players have no leash. So, it, well,
3: it, some other players have no opportunity because, you know, again, this is this is out of out, out of the organization's mouth, right? Like they, they need Keith and Malloy to work on their base running and their defense. Mm. They need them to be complete in all facets of the game.
2: Yeah, I'm going to come down there if they'll let me in for free. I'm going to run around the bases uh, with Cole Keith. I'm going to hold his hand and yell at him the whole time. And I also am going to Alfredo Emeziga, and I'm going to stand in the first base coaching box with him, yelling, get back. And I'm going to practice all kinds of that stuff with him. Uh, And, you know, the part that I don't think I need to practice too much with him is when he steps in, hitting in the three hole. With his 955 OPS and AAA and 24 Jimmy Jacks this year to every part of the field. Okay. That part I don't think he needs my help on, but I, I'm happy to come down there and give him a little Gorosh base running lesson. Uh, and if they'll bring him up, because that's just the biggest bunch of nonsense I've, you know, heard in a long time. I, I also wanted to. Address something I that, you know, this endless, endless, endless shuffle of picking up players on the waiver wire. It's been a year. I don't year. hate it. I
3: don't I don't hate it. Like I, I understand I understand why you dislike the bottom of the barrel type guys, but like again, if that doesn't if that's not happening, if that's not going on, you know, the Tigers never end up with Tyler Holton. I think Carson Kelly, even though he wasn't a waiver claim, they signed him. I think he kind of falls into a similar boat. And I think that was a great example of Scott Harris using his creativity to be able to, you know, leverage himself into a backup catcher for 2024. I think that was a really good move. You know, you go out and you're able to pick up a guy like Andy Abanez off waivers. That happened. That was real. Um, And and so Andy Abanez, as much as it's been up and down, as much as he's probably not a long-term, he's definitely not a long-term piece. Like, it, it was still a worthwhile pickup for the 2023
2: season. So I
3: understand. No, no, I understand what you're saying. I get your frustration Look, with that. every I understand why it's boring and annoying. But no, still, when you, hit on, when you hit on Tyler Holton, when you're able to pick up a, a, a backup catcher like Carson Kelly, who I think could, could actually be pretty decent in that backup spot behind Jake. And then you're also able to add somebody in Andy Abanis who can actually play, you know, meaningful games for you and, and and make an impact and show a little bit of pop here and there plays pretty clean defense like there's there's something that like I hate about Andy Abanez, right? There's something
2: that you I like and you Andy yeah, Abanias. Yes. I, really I wonder play. why he's, he's not playing, playing. more point. than Matt, I I wonder why he doesn't play more than Matt Veerling, But, you know, but my, Zach my, Zach,
3: McK- Zach McKinstry in a trade. That's not a waiver claim, it's a trade, but again, it's kind of another one of those, you know, last guy on the roster type moves. And I know it's not the forty man. That was the twenty six man. A little bit different, but still, like that is another move that was like, well, why mm. they make that move? And you know, you see some positive things from Zach McKinstry. We we saw a great May. Look, he's starting to walk a little bit more recently. I, I do see some of the value in doing that. The obsession over it, yeah, that's that can be kind of fra- I mean, look, every look, they claimed to get off waivers and then DFA'd him before ab, he got to Toledo recently. So I, I get that frustration.
2: Every team claims players off waivers. Every single one. No matter. About it this way. I'm just saying, every single team in Major League Baseball, from the Dodgers going backwards, claims players off of waivers. No team is as obsessed about claiming terrible players off of waivers like the Detroit Tigers. It, it, it there there's a line crossed here, and I have praised how. Tyler Holton is a freaking revelation. He's like a magic trick out there. But between, you know, after Tyler Holton, there's been an awful lot of brain power expended on waiver pickups. And what do they have to show for it? Carson Kelly, any shrewd team that needed a catcher that had the capacity to offer playing time and adequate money in 2024 should have been all over at least. Giving him the 60 at bats he's gonna get, he's shown that he is a major league caliber catcher. Is he a starting catcher? Not sure no. yet. Once was thought to be almost a lock starting catcher, but he's done some pretty damn good things. He seems like he knows how to play the game and he knows how to handle pitchers. I, I think that he's been damn good. And I've tweeted that. I, I you know, I I think he has more in the tank as a hitter, but in general. Very professional so far. Would would you not agree that's a fair way to explain him or not?
3: Yeah, well, look, I mean... I I understand. What I understand your point. I, I I do get it. Like again, you, you go and you look at Beniso- Bennett Sosa. Uh, I I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his last name right because I've never heard of the guy before. But the Tigers claimed him on August 29th and then they DFA'd him on September 1st. And then the Houston Astros claimed him off waivers and he won't be eligible for the postseason. That's that that's whatever at that point. But still, like that's a guy who was in the organization for like three days. So I I understand the frustration with that. I understand the the question of why? What's the point? I don't get it. And I'm I'm kind of in agreement with you on that in some senses, but at the same time, what happens when you hit? And sometimes when you hit, like, you know, you, you get a guy like Tyler Holton. Now, again, you it might be a, you know, one one in every fifty might hit, but like one in every hundred, one in every one fifty, like I don't really know exactly what the the rate is there, but is it better than you know, not hitting it all. I mean, again, it's kind of like that lottery ticket talk, right? Like, do, do you pull a lottery ticket just because? I mean, if the lottery ticket's sitting right there, don't you pick it up, scratch it, and see what happens?
2: Yeah, it gets back to why aren't. If you have open why spots, aren't, like, look, why, again, why, again aren't Keith I hope, and Mo- why aren't Keith and Malloy getting playing time right now in the month of September to yeah, prepare them for I, next I year? Okay. I know. All right. So. We're going to take our last break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about something really weird about stolen bases, and we will talk for probably the last time until he's no longer a tiger about a Spencer Turnbull. We'll be
0: back in a minute. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left Listen to
1: Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I, I was noticing in these last two series that all of a sudden that, uh, the Detroit Tigers are stealing bases like they're going out of style. And it started about the 15th of August. And since the 15th of August, they're the, they are ranked fourth in Major League Baseball and steals, I think, with 18. Which is really kind of a, yeah, a bizarre change of style of play because for the season... The Tigers have 68 steals, and they're number 26 in baseball. So, number four, number 26, and it's it's kind of strange. Is it they're facing teams that the scouting says can't throw anyone out? Major League Baseball right now, 78% success rate, the highest in the history of Major League Baseball. I'm sure the rule changes and the larger bases have Everything to do with that, but
3: but they weren't doing it earlier in the year, correct? Is your point? Yeah, and I and I I think they think that, and the Tigers think I can tell you for a fact the Tigers think that they can be even better on the bases. They can, they they can do some, I know, I know, and they think they can do some real damage on the bases and, um, you know, create some havoc out there. And we've seen it more and more recently. I really loved, uh, you know, there was a game against the Yankees in the recent homestand, the Tigers played, and the Yankees ran all over them. There were a couple uncontested stolen bases. And and just some miscues where the Tigers weren't able to to convert. The Yankees moved up some free runners, and you know a lot of those ended up you know driving in runs, and that was you know part of the reason why the Tigers lost lost one of those games there. They lost three of the three games in the series, but one of them was because you know they really struggled to control the running game, and AJ Hinch was not very happy about that. And the Tigers turned around in the very next day, controlled the running game, and then they won. I, th- I think it was that you know, two to six loss that they had. I think that would have been on Wednesday and then they won uh, Thursday's game four to two and they did a great job of controlling the running game and then also running on the Yankees as well and, and taking their lunch money in that way and so it's definitely been a point of emphasis um, you know throughout August and here as we get into September I think we're only going to see more of it I think they're going to continue to get faster they're going to get smarter on the bases these guys and and that's again is that not a product of you know the not a product of guys developing at the big league level. Like it, it, it's so much more than just are you fast. Like Dude, are you fast is not enough to steal bases.
2: Do you know who? you know who straight stole second base three times in the last ten days? Kerry Bonds. Kerry so, Carpenter stealing three bases in the last
3: ten days. But that, I mean, that's guys developing. That's guys developing at the big league level. Like Kerry Carpenter is, is somebody who you know again the Tigers called him up and, and they could have made the case that he needed more time to work on his defense and base running in AAA, but they decided to call him up last season when they did because of his bat. And he's a guy that maybe just, you know, he's finally getting around to developing on the bases at at this level, knowing, hey, when can I run on guys? When can I take advantage of them? He's not very fast, but again, it's more than just being fast. Like being fast is not what it takes to steal bases. I mean, I mean that, that's just... Look, that's just the fact of the matter.
2: Dude, at the major league level, and Kirk Gibson's great at explaining this, there's a lot of stuff that Kirk Gibson's great at explaining. I wish they had a play-by-play. I mean, Mark, real
3: quick, how many stolen bases does Matt Vierling have? He's fast. He has six. five stolen bases. And how many he times has he six been caught? Times.
2: Yeah, that's, six. I, that's enough That's enough, Matt Vierling talk. It just. But that's my point, though, now. is
3: just being, being fast isn't enough.
2: It, it, but what I'm saying to you, at the major league level and Gibby has gone over this many many times he was really good about it when he managed uh, Arizona it's it's a math problem dude you understand how far you need to get off what your time to second's going to be if you get any kind of jump and how quickly the catcher can deliver the ball bu- you know how quickly you know the pitcher delivers and the catcher can get it down to second base in pop time you're going to f- you know it's it's just math and
3: that's AJ Hinch that's advanced scouting and that's
2: delivering that to the
3: players getting them to buy in and trust it and to trust it
2: and what i'm bringing up is somehow in the last 3 weeks they've integrated that into their offense and uh it's made a huge difference it's it's weird it's something people may not have noticed but it's pretty noticeable now so I kudos to them. They need everything they can to improve their offensive productivity. They sure as hell need to score a lot more runs. And they sure, you know, the next thing they obviously need to do. And I think every team in baseball always is whining about this part of the game, but need to improve their hitting with runners and scoring position. The other thing I'll say to you is is AJ Hinch bumping a few times to move guys up and get runners in scoring position lately. Love it. Love it. And especially guys like Zach Short. And, you know, look, I want to tell you something. I, I you know, I had tip to Zach. Zach Zach played his ass off this year. It's going to be hard to dislodge him as a utility player. He's a gamer. He has a lot of limitations as a player. Um, But, you know, if it turns out that he's back in Toledo next year, uh, he got a year of major league service time. You, you know, you get paid really, really well to be a major leaguer now. Minimum is, I think, seven hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and you get per diem. So, he's been grinding away for a really long time in the minor leagues. And you know, I'm glad he got to make a couple of bucks. A and B, uh, he did a lot of great things this year. I mean, he still has obviously a lot of shortcomings as a player, but. He's he's done a lot of good stuff and kudos to him. So all right. Well, you know, we're getting pretty deep in the podcast, and I want everybody first of all, I want to say something. There's a friend of mine who's a pretty famous Tiger fan. People know him on Twitter. His name's Tiger Mike. And uh he's a pretty good buddy of mine. In fact, at the Otani game, we sat together behind the plate. Most a lot of people know him. Um He had an accident yesterday. Uh, He was at the park with his dog and he has a pretty big dog and the dog wanted to sprint after another dog. And when it was all over, he had a broken hip. Seriously. So he was DMing me from the hospital last night, at like one o'clock in the morning. And he had uh, a fractured hip and he had surgery this morning and it's a pretty serious injury. He's laid up. And I'm sure you want to wish him the same. Uh, get better soon, Mikey. And uh I want I know he listens to every one of our pods, and I want him to know we're thinking about him. Uh he's a grandpa like me. And, you know, I w- hope he gets better soon. And maybe I'll have to make a trip to go visit him because breaking your hip. Not a not a fun thing, dude. So yeah,
3: I couldn't imagine that, and couldn't have
2: said it better, Mark. Yeah, I you know. So days of roar, Mikey, get better soon. Well, I I just want to take a minute because there's uh, some big festivities going on uh, for Evan Petzold in the next couple of days, and I wanted to see if we could at least talk about it for a minute. People should know that. Uh, you have somehow convinced your fiance Savannah to marry you and your wedding is on Friday. And I want to see if you're excited about it.
3: Absolutely pumped. I'm ecstatic. I I can't wait. Like there, there are so many emotions. There are so many feelings like, yeah, I mean to kind of get deep and to get personal. Yeah. Like I, 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 I sit back and I think about it and, you know, knowing that that day is coming and it is right around the corner and it's happening, and and there's a lot that still has to be done, right? Like there's a lot of small things that you know we still have to finish up and make sure, um, you know, we kind of take care of and get you know kind of lined up and in place, you know, before the big day. But as you're going through those things, and and even when I was in Chicago on on the past road trip, like just you know, I like to stay out out of out of the out of the city a little bit and drive in and just kind of taking my drive, listening to the music that I like to listen to, and just kind of thinking, damn. I'm about to be a husband. Like, that's really cool. And that's an amazing feeling. And you kind of get these flashbacks to when, you know, Savannah and I first met to, you know, the first time that we kissed, like, I mean, I don't know all those things, like, right. Like, I know that that's personal, but like, those are kind of the, the things that kind of come rushing back to you, right. Like, you know, when you, the first time you get to like, you know, meet her parents, like the the first time that you say, I love you. The first time that, um, you know, you, you go do cool things together, whether it's like going to a Pistons game or, you know, going to the big house together to, to watch Michigan football or you know, the list goes on and on skiing together, right? Like I, I like to ski and I would have never gone skiing if it wasn't for Savannah. Um, I also like, I love going downtown to Detroit and, you know, getting good eats downtown. Like I didn't do that growing up very much. Her and her family did it all the time. They would always go downtown. And so, you know, she got me to go downtown and like now we have favorite, you know, food spots that we love to go to. So like, it, it's just all those kind of things. I mean, it's, it's, her pushing me to go take an internship in Colorado when that meant that I was going to be away the entire summer. That meant her saying, you know, go, go take the other internship that you had, you know, after your freshman year, go do that in Midland. Right. Like I know you're not going to be home for the summer, but you know, it's a, it's a good opportunity. Right. And and for me to say, apply to U of M, right. Like you can, you can go to U of M for your master's. Like you can do it. Like you just got to apply. And, and, and she says, all right, like I'll, I'll give it a shot. And you know, she gets in, she gets her master's at U of M. Right. So like, it's all of those kind of things, both, you know, the, the smaller things like going to a Pistons game to the bigger things. That's like, Hey, I got your back. Like, go do this. Like, you know, you, you, you want this to be part of your career. Like you, this is the path that you want to be on. Like go chase after it. Like, I'm not holding you back from that. So it, it's, it's like a balance of those things. And then, and then you also think about the future and you think about, you know, growing old together and sitting on your rocking chairs one day, um, you know, watching like grandkids in the yard and stuff like that, you know, like, I don't know. I have all those emotions right now. I get butterflies and and just kind of thinking about it. So yes, I'm very excited. Um, I have like the biggest smile on my face right now and I, I can't wait to marry my best friend, the
2: love of my life and, and the woman of my dreams. It's a beautiful thing to hear in any interaction I've had with the both of you and especially you, whenever you talk about Savannah, it's a totally different level of excitement in your voice. And I've had the pleasure of speaking to her a few times and, uh, like most guys I know, they uh, outkick their coverage. She's a gem. They outkicked their coverage, yeah. so I just, confirm. I just wanted people to know it's the big, uh, it's the big wedding weekend. You got the rehearsal dinner, you got the wedding. Uh, it should be a lot of fun next week. Evan will be having a few days off and. I will have a guest with me on the podcast maybe to, uh, we will still have a days of roar. Um, it will not be ever as good as when it's just us doing it together, but we got, we got to, we got to push on brother. You told me to keep going. And so we'll keep going. If it was the winter, I might've blown off a week, but, (laughs) but not, but I just wanted to, uh, tell you how happy I was about, uh, about you getting married i know how excited you are about it i know how excited savannah is about it and i hope you have a night you remember for the rest of your life and uh from the gorash family we wish you the best of luck all right we're gonna wrap it up i want to thank our executive producer as always uh kirk crawford and anjanette delgado um I want to thank my grandson Braden Michael Gorash, who now, because he keeps climbing out of his crib every night at two years old, has to sleep in a big bed and he has not been very good about it. And it's been a big giant war of sleeping now because he will not stay in his bed. But Braden Michael Gorash, your pops loves you. Uh <laughs> so for my soon to be married. Uh, Podcast partner, Evan Petzold. This is Mark Gorash. We'll see you next week and peace.
0: Just going to run this